You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Mike Pretz, Kat Kalin, Jason Dickinson, and Brian Colt. Hey everybody, Robert here from Mentors for Military. First off, thanks for listening to the podcast. We appreciate all the support. On this episode, I invited Nick Smith, the CEO of GeoOwl, to sit down with me and talk about GeoOwl, his transition, and some of the things that are going on out there in the intelligence community. If you're not familiar with GeoOwl, you can check them out at geowl.com. That's geowl.com. So what is GeoOwl? GeoOwl is a premier provider of full-motion video, geospatial, ISR intelligence, and IT services to the Department of Defense and Intelligence Community. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mentors for Military podcast as we sit down with Nick Smith. Yeah, right, most I'm like definitely. A, I'm like a little techie guy, you know. I'm going to buy all the to- the toys, though. <laughs> I like it, you know. I'm going to buy all the toys. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So, how did you end up getting into GeoAl? I mean, was it one of these things that you started it right after military service, or how did it all start? No, well, a- after service, uh, I went went to college and used the GI Bill and all that good stuff. Yeah, and then. Uh, um, I went down to Florida and worked with my brother for a while doing uh, mixed martial arts promotions. We actually had a professional mixed martial arts TV show, all that good stuff. Where about? Um, in Florida, uh, all over Florida. We did like okay. 16 pro events, a few amateur events. Yeah. Uh, we had like a, I think the TV show is still available on like Hulu. I think you can. Oh, is it really? Look it, up. it was called Art of Fighting. Mixed martial arts. Oh, I do remember um, a show like that. I don't know that I watched it on Hulu, but I remember people talking about it or something. Yeah, well, uh, uh, maybe. But um, so after that, uh, uh, our biggest sponsor was Full Tilt Poker. And uh, Full Tilt Poker, if you remember, got all those online poker sites got in trouble. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're our biggest sponsor. Once they got in trouble, they went away. We couldn't really afford to do it anymore. So I was like, crap what i'm gonna do now so i was like well i do i was in the military so i might as well you know resilience yeah 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 go back in my military experience so um i rejoined the uh the reserves got my my clearance back and all that stuff and then uh ended up getting a job up uh in dc where i'm at now um with a with a big company okay running a huge intelligence program so i did that for a while and then um i didn't you know particularly like working for somebody else company. yeah uh and then 2013 uh kind of started doing it on my own uh got a contract um doing analysis with uh some of the special operations units mm-hmm. and uh we've just grown from there uh, so you didn't come out of the gi bill looking for uh, to become an entrepreneur you just kind of stumbled into it just based on how everything turned out then yeah i've always kind of had entrepreneurial tendencies yeah you know like yeah. uh I, would, I was always start a little business and then you know maybe i wouldn't follow through with it or something like that i yeah. always i always wanted to but i think um actually working in the fight promotion with my brother um seeing the way he operated and ran the business and all that stuff like it really it kind of gave me the bug to like start you know to start a business because um he just you know, really showed me the, how to do it. Yeah. And, uh, what was your MOS? And <clears throat> yeah, so I was uh, 96 Delta back in the day. Okay. Um, it's now a 35 Golf. Yep, it's a 35 Golf now. You know, airborne, all that good stuff. Uh, out of Fort Bragg, I did a year-long deployment to Iraq. 
2005, mm-hmm. basically all 2005. I was in Iraq. Uh, and then I left service in 2006 after four years active duty. And um, that's when I uh, went to school at a UNCW, uh, University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And I got a degree in psychology. <clears throat> that's kind of like my uh, intelligence army background there. Um, and then I did another three years in the reserves later on after after the fight promotion uh, was kind of started <laughs> not do too well. So that's, you know, kind of led me to, to doing the work with the special operations units and kind of today where we're at, uh, we have people all over the world embedded with the uh, special operations units. I mean, you name it, um, we do it. Uh, we kind of provide that shoulder-to-shoulder support that they need. Uh, we're right there in the operations centers with them, making sure that they have the intelligence information they need to uh, to do their mission in in, uh, in the most effective manner possible. Yeah. Um, so that's really what we do. I can see a lot of special operations guys going into that kind of stuff. As we all know, I mean, those guys typically, they come out of active duty service and they end up going, uh, in many cases, into government contracting roles for some period of time. And I've also seen a lot of them that are looking now at some of the new technology. And I know you guys are focused on things like drones and, and those types of things as well that's really taking shape over in, in the fight. Yeah. So we're, we're always looking for talented people, typically ex-military. Um, but, you know, we don't do the, you know, building of the drones and all in launching them and all that stuff what we do is the analysis of the intelligence gotcha. that's derived from them so we're going to provide video analysis of you know an isr sensor that's on an asset somewhere and uh we're really the ones that put the pieces together and provide a solution and then the government can do what they do or the military so that's really what, what our function is, is to provide that expertise. We're the experts. Uh, the military has a hard time doing this because of the, you know, the fluctuation of personnel. They have people coming and going all the time in the military. And as contractors, we provide you know, that kind of stability. We have people that have been doing this for a long time. They're, they're experts. And uh, in the military, they have requirements they have to put up with and all that good stuff deployments they have to do their maintain their standards all that all that good stuff the military does and to be honest with you contractors do it more efficiently yeah yeah (laughs) so uh that's just kind of well less bureaucracy as well you know within your organizations Mm -hmm. than you do within the government as you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly right but right now we're we're working with you know the special operation units all over the world we're we're embedded with them and you know you name a country we're probably working there in some some way shape or form if the special ops people are there i know one of the things that we talked about was around artificial intelligence and out here in the private sector in many cases artificial intelligence is used to do um, a lot of the the stuff that is labor intensive for organizations, especially when you start using bots in that sense, and it mimics right. the steps that a, a person actually performs, whether it's uh, keystrokes, uh, logging into specific things, cut and paste, you know, those right. types of activities that it ends up going through, and it actually records that and provides that same function, and then over time begins to learn 
uh, as it's going through that that reasoning as well. And so it's really cool how artificial intelligence is not going to replace, in many cases, the human aspect because there still is a thought process that needs to be engaged that humans bring to the table. But when you, you start thinking about those very monotonous keystroke functions or those types of activity mm-hmm. uh, digital activities this is where a bot can really be helpful yeah yeah I, I agree and uh, there's some promising technology that's coming out in the near future uh, but for right now uh, we're still doing the bulk of even data entry uh, it would be great to have a really smart AI that can do all this stuff but uh, when you're dealing with any type of intelligence collection, you, you have ethical considerations you have to make too. Certain, oh, sure. Certain times, and you know, c- computers just aren't able to do that. It's going to be a while before they can do what what we can do as far as um, you know, exploiting video. A video is a really really tough one. Yeah. Uh, I, I, all all the major technology brands are trying to crack this, right? Uh, figuring out how to accurately describe a video and provide context for what's happening in that video. Uh, there's some there's some interesting uh, machine learning algorithms that are out there. I haven't seen anything c- come close to doing what a person can do. But, you know, that's going to be a big game changer for, for certainly what we do. Um, and then if you tie in the rest of the intelligence spectrum when you get into all source analysis and um, signals, intelligence, uh, you know, really a smart AI is going to be a big game changer because they're going to be able to simultaneously access multiple databases while they're, while it's doing analysis. Right. Right. And at lightning speed, at lightning speed. And even a really great human analyst, uh, doesn't have access to all information. They only have access to uh, what they've come across. And so that, that's going to be a huge, huge, uh, change in the way intelligence is analyzed and collected. Once the AI gets to the level of, I don't know, let's say a few thousand humans, right. Um, it can simultaneously access all the data at the same time while, uh, activity is occurring. They could, it could do it while there's activity. So, it's going to give you a really broad and in-depth understanding of the context of everything that's happening. So um, AI is a very, very interesting uh, technology. It's not there yet. It's going to take time, but there's, there's a lot of incentive for these companies to create uh, solid AI. The government will certainly snatch it up and utilize it for all good things, I hope. And um, for us, I know there's certainly a concern, oh, well, you know, the humans won't be able, the AI is going to replace human analysts and all that good stuff. But I really don't see that as the, as the case because the, someone's going to have to synthesize that intelligence for a long time. It's not going to be able to, AI will not be able to do that. It It can provide the data. It might be, be able to provide a lot of data. But it's still going to take a human to think ethically, to be creative and think outside the box. Um, and at least until we get a little bit more robust in terms of that type of um, 
uh, programming and those types of things. Now, to say that it's not potentially going to happen in the future, is, but I mean, if you speak to our uh, to people who are around when computers first came around, that's what everybody thought then, is that computers are going to start replacing mm-hmm. humans. And what you end up doing now is that we were supposed to be free of all these things that were tying us down at that time frame and making our lives measurable and making us work long hours. Then the whole idea at that time frame was computers are the wave of the future where we can actually allow our computers to do a lot mm-hmm. of the work. And we could pr- pr- uh, provide the reasoning behind it. And then people started uh, thinking that, well, you're eventually going to replace that you know, human with a computer. And what we end up finding is we're actually tethered to systems more than what we ever right. have been, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, look at the way it is now. Everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket. They have access to uh, email 24 hours a day. So they're always GPS. Working. Yeah, everything. I think, I mean, I think you're working more now. Oh, absolutely. You work more now than than ever um, simply because we have that that tethered technology right yeah and it's harder to turn your brain off it's very hard to turn your brain off there's information overload you have so many different intriguing things that you can look at um, especially on your phone i mean uh, these apps are designed for you to, to return to them right yeah. they're designed for you to receive uh, a shot of dopamine for getting a, a like or whatever like uh, on instagram <laughs> totally or, yeah. or twitter so uh we're totally tethered to them and you know one can hope that ai will change that a little bit um but i don't see that being the case i, I really, don't either i really think ai is going to be for a long time um uh, in the works i, I think it's going to take a lot longer than people think and there's going to be a, a long period of time where when it handles tasks that we never wanted to do in the first place, which just frees us up for more time. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take our jobs or anything like that. Um, it's yeah. just, uh, you know, it's a tool, just like any other any other tool. We'll end up finding a way to replace that time or at least uh, fill it with something else. Trust yeah, me. I mean, more, we always do. More emails. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or more social media. So I'm right. curious, if, has you, have you guys really started tap, uh, tapping into IBM Watson? I know that I came from an organization that was uh, using that heavily, especially in evaluating a lot of the data in the background and, and providing some type of reasoning and those types of things back to you know scientists, whether it was some type of informatics or something of that case. Have you have you started utilizing that type of technology or IBM Watson or thought about that in any type of way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think about this quite a bit because we work with so much data, right? We don't necessarily work with IBM Watson, but uh, similar technology that's supposed to aggregate data and uh, big data. That's what everyone says, big data, right? Well, oh, yeah, everybody really, wants that, that. Yeah, That doesn't really mean anything to me. Uh, <laughs> when I hear big data, I hear, so what? That doesn't mean anything. The, the point the point of those technologies in our space anyways is to um, is to aggregate and create more streamlined analysis for us so yeah I mean I'm always thinking about this and always looking into new and emerging technologies that can make life easier for our our analysts so that's um, I spent a lot of time doing that. Well, you know, your analysts are probably doing a little bit, it sounds like, of both quantitative and qualitative. So the quantitative mm-hmm. analysis can certainly be done by tools like AI or uh, IBM Watson and those types of things. But that qualitative analysis is really that human touch that goes in there and has to evaluate the data and provide it from a pr- you, more of a human reasoning perspective and providing that input 
uh, to be able to make those types of decisions. You can certainly get quantitative, but that qualitative is that aspect that right. you know us as humans, we bring to the table. And until they come up with a technology that can ac- actually replace that, uh, I think we're some time away from that, at least. We're getting closer, but I think we're still some time <laughs> away from that. Yep, yep, that's that's exactly right. And uh, um, that is what we spend a lot of our time doing is uh, providing that, that uh, intuition and creativity, actually. That's what people will be shocked to hear that, but intelligence analysis, a lot of it is creativity. You have to think outside the box. We're, we're looking for adversaries, right, that want to do harm to the United States. And they're not dumb people. People yeah. will be surprised to hear that. They're not dumb. They're smart. They um, do things to actively thwart attempts to be collected upon. And we have to outthink them at every step. So it's a cat and mouse game. And uh, that qualitative analysis is super important to building a complete picture for what we're trying to look at. So kind of paint a picture as to when you're talking about what some of your analysts do in terms of uh, with the soft teams on the on the boots on the ground type, so to speak. Yeah. Are they actually reviewing the data and analysis right there on the spot and having to provide some kind of feedback for the leaders to be able to make decisions right then as perhaps what's going on, what different objectives uh, we need to hit or target uh, rich opportunities and those types of things? Or is it more of um, that feedback goes back here to the rear, so to speak, back in D.C. or uh, to your headquarters office, and then you guys put together a package that then goes forward to more executive leaders to be able to utilize that? Or is it a combination of both? Uh, Well, it kind of is a combination of both. Um, But like I was saying earlier, we're embedded with with the soft units. So um, we go where they go, and the information flow is dependent on who we're embedded with and what their command is doing and all that good stuff. So sometimes it's in an operations center and those decision makers are right there and they we're a push button for them. They come to us and they say, Hey, I want to know X, Y, Z. We say, you got it. Um, and we, we put the tools in place to derive that information for them and then spit, spit that information back to them in hopefully a timely fashion uh, to where they can make good decisions. And that's what it's all about, making good decisions. And you think about that in terms of how that works within even a private sector company that's not affiliated with the government or at least not providing the type of support you're doing. That's actually what a lot of teams that are in the big data, so to speak, out here in the private sector are trying to do. I mean, they're trying to create... Um, some type of analysis from the data of the organization, either as to how their customers are reacting, what type of purchases they're going to be making, what potentially we need to evaluate for future R&D opportunities uh, to generate either uh, bigger top line or bottom line results and stuff for the organization. And so they take in all that data, they analyze it, they come up with some kind of quantitative analysis to remove the emotion out of it, and then provide the qualitative aspects to it to help the business drive to some kind of decision going forward you're doing that exact same thing but in a combat type of setting and environment based on how the enemy is approaching uh, what they're doing how they're trying like you say cyber attacks or 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 other things the information that's coming back from the drones to be able to help make those same types of decisions yeah certainly i mean there's a lot of crossover between the commercial space and the government contracting space or military operations. Uh, I think that's why, you know, people that come out of the military, it's part of the reason I think they make such great employees and team members. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because 
a lot of the things that you learn in the military and the things that you do in the military are totally applicable to uh, commercial business. Absolutely. And and um, so that same, you know, those same methods we use to analyze data on the battlefield is the same. You're right. It's the same thing that they do at Walmart to analyze why people are buying, you know, sweatshirts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just it's about thinking about human activity and, and looking at the data and deriving good information. And, you know, the <clears throat> the thing in intelligence is you have to look at things the way that they are, not the way you want them to be. And, uh, you know, a good a good analyst realizes that and just says that, you know, this is this is the information we have. This is this is what it is. And in that sense, you know, uh, that type of thinking leads to great business decisions as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're running a business, uh, you need to know the ground truth of your business and what's going on um, in your store, for instance, every day or at your bar. Um, so so those those kind of skill sets are totally uh you know, transfer over to the commercial sector. So, yeah. And, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, in my own life time, especially after I transitioned from the military and starting to work with data from an operational standpoint, you know, especially looking Six Sigma wise or those types of things where you start getting into the data and a lot of the data to start uh, speaking to you to identify the root cause. And sometimes you start seeing things a little bit more clearly than those who evaluated initially. They thought that these may be uh, where the, the areas of improvement are or things that you need to focus on. And the reality is you start looking at that whole data picture and you see a different, you start seeing different things and um, than maybe other people do. And I guess I would equate that to say, looking at a painting, some people see the colors and some people see, you know, the, the image that they, that's before them while other people can step back and they see not only the strokes, but they see the width of the strokes how the artist was actually trying to use shadows mm-hmm. to portray certain things within the, the painting to, to help describe what they wanted, uh, the meaning or the purpose from that, that painting. And in many cases, when someone like an artist writes a song and people hear it, they, they have their own interpretations of what the lyrics are. And that's part of the beauty of an artist and being able to either portray that through the song and the music where you get your own interpretation or through a painting. And I think the same thing could be uh, true for people who analyze data, to be honest with you. that There are people that have that good skill set that can actually not just look at mm-hmm. the numbers, but they can actually see the strokes. They can actually see the shadows and they can see the things that are there that are hidden. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, we have plenty of those people inside GeoWow. I mean, there's, we have great people that are capable of doing just that, you know, um, that's, that's why we, they hire us over someone else is because, um, anyone can look at, look at, uh, a video and see colors, but it takes a good analyst to realize the context of the situation. What's important, you know, people have to know what's important in any type of data analysis and really kind of put together uh, a good picture based on their expertise and based on, um, you know, kind of a, it's, it's creativity really is what what you're talking about. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) Um, And, and that's what we do. Uh, That's exactly what we do. That's why they go to us over someone else. Certainly, you know, the more experience you have uh, doing, uh, any type of 
any type of work will lead you to get better and better and better. You know, that's why they that's why they come to us, man. That's it. Yeah. Right there, you just hit the nail on the head. Well, you know, and I think that's a skill set that not everybody has. So, again, like you pointed out, you might be somebody that's within the military that may be into the providing some kind of intelligence uh, back to make operational decisions or provide leadership uh, with the data and input and stuff. But there are those individuals that can, like I say, start painting that picture and see it for what the artist really had or what's really going on. I think some people honestly are born with that skill set. They have the ability to see things broad mm-hmm. and, and the depth. Yeah. Uh, and then there are some people, uh, and maybe it's sort of like, uh, you know, I use the analogy of painting and stuff like that, but maybe it's also like color uh, color blindness, where, you know, some people just can't see the numbers mm-hmm. or shapes or whatever because they, they just don't have that. I think a lot could be said for the same thing as you're evaluating data. It takes a certain type of person. So what do you guys look for when you're looking for these types of people to come in the GOL and actually provide that type of support to the government? What are the, the you know one to five things that you kind of focus on uh, as a skill set or as a trait or capability that could help GOL in the future? So on a real basic level, right? We look for we look for military experience, uh, simply because, like like I was talking about earlier, it's just it's invaluable to what we do. So um, it helps when you are working with the military if you understand the military a little bit. So that's definitely one thing. We do look for people that you know. We kind of look. We have a whole person philosophy. So uh, a lot of the times we're working in operation centers for twelve hours a day. Right, so we want people that are not just smart and sharp, and they are—they're really smart and really sharp. But you know, maybe they're funny too. You know, these, these are the type of people we want. We want total—you know—the whole the whole person. And uh, you know, we don't necessarily look for someone with a degree or look for someone with, you know, a certificate or anything like that. We look for people that are willing to put in the time, energy, and effort to be a successful analyst and that's what's called grit right we look Mm -hmm. for people with grit and people with grit are willing to work harder work longer and provide uh, more of their energy and efforts to getting uh, the team as a whole where it needs to be because it is a team sport so we look for for people like that you know we look for people that are creative people that are driven certainly and uh smart almost all everyone that we have is, is super smart so that's just kind of a blanket thing they're just smart people and um as things go you know uh i'd say uh mainly people that have that desire to stick it out to, to put in the effort and, it, and you you can see that when you interview people oh, you sure. know that they care about these missions these missions are important. They're, they have impacts that are, in some case, globally uh, <laughs> of global importance. And um, you know, we want people that want to be a part of those missions. These, these are things you see or hear in the news that you would never know. And you know, you might not hear these people's names, but I'll, I'll tell you what—that they're keeping you just as safe as any anybody overseas with a gun because they're getting ahead of threats instead right. of waiting for them to come over here. And there's plenty of threats, I'll tell you that right now. Um, so, yeah, we look for grit. We look for grit. We look for, you know, desire and, and a will to be a part of 
these missions. That's really what we look for. For somebody who's looking at transitioning, what are some of the things you saw as a struggle from your own transition? And what are those things that you, you feel like, you know, from the candidates that you're looking for? Right. So when I was leaving the military, I, I didn't really realize what my actual value was to <laughs> society. You know, I didn't really, what's, what's my value here? I, you know, after being, after being in the military, yes, you know, people in the military realize what it is, but, um, it doesn't always translate to skills that are, you know, that are needed in business or medicine or what, or whatever field you're in. And, I was just unsure. I remember being very unsure when I left service. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, luckily, I decided to go to school, and I think that those couple years that I finished my degree helped out. But if you're if you're coming out of the military now, I'd say the most important thing to do is to try a lot of different things. If you're not if you're not sure what you want to do, try a lot of different things. Um, start with networking with people, uh, especially in the fields that you're interested in. LinkedIn is a great tool, and what's cool about it is there's a veteran in almost every single industry. Yeah, and and one of the great things about being a veteran is you have an instant connection with with another veteran. I don't care when yeah. they when they served; it's an instant connection. Um, you get them, they get you, and if you reach out to people that are in the industry that you want to go in if you're leaving service um you're going to find someone that's willing to mentor you and really willing to show you um what you need to do to be successful so that's that's the number one thing i would say uh, for people exiting service you know network find find a good mentor in the industry that you're interested in and it doesn't necessarily you know call it a mentor call it a friend whatever you want to call it find someone um that can lead you in the right direction and uh, if you do that, uh, you, you'll be miles ahead of, of everybody else. So that's, that's probably the, the top thing. Uh, and then from there, you know, continue to develop your skill set on, you know, whatever, whatever it is you want to do, definitely use the GI build, definitely, um, take advantage of continuing education and all that good stuff for GWAL people that are exiting service, um, typically, you know, we're looking for intelligence people. So there are going to be certain MOSs in the 35 series in the Army and the Marines. It's the 02, 02 series, I believe. And then Air Force is different. But we're looking for those intel- those people with the intelligence skill set and background, a security clearance typically. And like I said, that will desire to help out and be a part of being part of a really important mission because that's what we do every day. So if you're exiting service, I definitely would, would say my piece of advice, network, find a mentor, and continue to improve your skills. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talking about not only your background and all the cool things that you guys are doing, but um, you know, kind of sharing your drop of knowledge there about the transition and some of the, the things that people can do to improve upon themselves. I don't think we can say it enough you know, to some of those guys that are, and gals for that matter, that are transitioning out of the military the importance of actually generating that network and you know we've said it before your network is your net worth and so it's so important to start building that early and often 
and making sure that you do you build those connections so that when you come out that transition is a lot easier not only that but know what you want to do i think find your passion and purpose and you kind of hit on that a little bit as well so again thank you uh nick for coming on really appreciate it man telling your story yeah no really uh, appreciate you having me thank you for listening to our podcast you can follow us on twitter Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code MENTORSFORMIL or MENTORS4MIL at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.